get gifts and give gifts, and I trust that you were able to focus on Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, during this Christmas season, which is really what it's all about. We celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ's birth, and um, now we look forward to going into a new year and 2021. We don't, I, I think at the end of last year, I remember saying pretty much the same thing. We don't know what God has for us in 2020, and we definitely didn't know what God has had for us in 2020, and we don't know what God has for us in 2021. But I, I was thinking this morning, I was just thinking, you know, 2020 was a gift to us from God in the same way that the fiery furnace was a gift to the three Hebrew children, the lion's den was a gift to Daniel, um, all of the trials and tribulations that really were great blessings to God's people were gifts to him. It doesn't mean that they were easy. It doesn't mean that they weren't without challenge and without um, a difficulty, but it, what, what it does mean is that the end result was so positive. I mean, the three Hebrew children going in, I, I imagine they didn't think to themselves, this is going to be easy. But coming out, I imagine that they did think to themselves, wow, we serve an amazing God. And we come out of 2020, we can look at our God and say, wow, we serve an amazing God. And we do serve an amazing God, don't we? No matter how difficult this last year has been, and we don't know what he has planned for 2021, it could, it could, we could face more challenges in 2021. And the reality of it is, is the church should not be surprised why do we get surprised when the world waxes worse and worse and things get more and more difficult when the Scripture prophesies of that over and over and over again? The Bible is replete with things are going to get worse. And, and it even tells us at the end of the days that it's going to be like a woman who is in childbirth. It's going to really, really increase, and it's going to increase fast and quick. And the reality of it is, folks, as, as, as Jesus' church this morning, if we don't get a hold of that reality, we will continue to murmur and complain when we face difficulty, not acknowledging the fact that that's what God has called us to. I'm, I'm mindful of what he says in the book of Peter, where he talks about Jesus Christ's suffering and how Jesus Christ suffered, where he, he was reviled, but he did not revile again. He was persecuted, but he did not persecute in return. And then it says about his suffering, it says, to this you have been called. You think, man, he told us that in his word, but it's not always easy to accept. And so it's only by God's grace that we're able to accept the trials and tribulations that come into our life. And really it's only because we're connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? We, we have a relationship this morning, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with the most satisfying person in the world, and that you don't need anything else. There's nothing more that you need than Jesus to be completely satisfied. Matter of fact, the life this world offers could be completely falling apart. We can be falling apart in our flesh we can be falling apart in our finances. We can be falling apart in every way and still find full satisfaction in Christ. Amen? Is that, is that true? Is, it, is that a practical truth that, we're, that we have embraced? Is that a real truth? This morning, I'd like to spend a little bit of time back in, actually, in Ruth chapter number 2. Uh, last week, we walked through it, and uh, we, we rushed through it last week. And um, we really just went verse by verse and tried to unfold the uh, meaning of the 
journey that Ruth is on as she is introduced to Boaz. Boaz is a type of Christ in the Bible. He's an Old Testament reflection of what Christ would be to the world in the New Testament. So while Boaz was the redeemer of of Ruth and Naomi, um, Jesus Christ is the redeemer of the world. All of those who place their faith in Jesus Christ will experience his redemption. And when you think about redemption, the word redemption just simply means to be bought back. It means to be purchased, and it means to be free. And so in other words, uh, before a person is redeemed, they're in bondage. They're in, they're in a prison of sorts. Um, and Jesus Christ comes into this world, and he sets us free. He buys us, and he sets us free, not so that we can do what we want, because in all reality, doing what we want is the bondage, right? Living a life that's associated with self is not the freedom, but it is the bondage. So when Jesus Christ comes into the world, he sets us free from living a life to self. I think some Christians think that he sets us free so that we can live a life for self. The reality of it is he sets us free so that we no longer have to live for self, but now we can live for him and we can live for others. And you say, Pastor John, that sounds kind of selfish of God. Well, the issue is this. It's not selfish um, because God is not selfish, okay? Just kind of a, a, a blanket statement. God is not selfish. He's the epitome of selflessness. However, God does it because it is the best for us. When we find, when we find peace with God, when we find uh, contentment with God, when we find satisfaction in Christ, it is for our good as much as it is for His glory, there's nothing better in life than to be connected to, um, belong to the Lord. There's nothing better in life, nothing more satisfying, nothing more fulfilling. We say, Pastor John, I've been a Christian for a long time, but I've never felt that satisfaction. I've never felt that fulfillment. I've never really felt the things that you're saying, they really aren't, they aren't real to me. I, you know, I've been committed to Christ for so long. Um, my challenge to you is, that maybe you've been playing a game with Christ. Maybe you've been one of those people who think that it's, let's try on Christ for a season. Let's, uh, let's see how it works out. And listen, you don't, you don't experience the benefits of being in Christ by trying him out. It's a commitment. It's a, it's a belonging to him. And that's when you experience those things. And so if you're here and you say, I haven't experienced all the things that you're talking about with this Christ that you're talking about or this Christianity, the reality of it is maybe you've experienced the opposite. My, my, my encouragement to you, my challenge to you is to evaluate your heart. Was it, is it real? Is your commitment to Christ real? Is your relationship with him real? It's almost like somebody who has his eye on a girl and is watching her but doesn't have the courage to go talk to her and doesn't have the courage to, to introduce himself and doesn't have the courage to do anything but, but yet expects to feel the same fulfillment in watching her that a husband and a wife fulfills in their relationship together. It's not going to be the same, is it? The relationship that a husband and a wife experiences together is totally different from that young man watching that girl. And so it is sometimes with, I think, people who profess to be Christians. Is it's just like you're watching from a distance. You see Christianity. You see Christ. You see his word. And you're just kind of watching from a distance. You're, you're way away from it. 
and you're like, I don't, I've experienced all of these things. What the Lord is doing is he's inviting you in. He doesn't want you to be out there watching other people experiences the goodnesses of God. He doesn't want you being out there just simply reading the word for knowledge sake. He wants you to be in that intimate um, place where you're walking with him daily. You're married to him. He is your husband and you are his bride. And that's why the scriptures give us this um, speak of our relationship with Christ as a relationship with a marriage. So that's all introduction. And I even have more introductions. So just bear with me. I want to just walk through Ruth 2 in this relationship with Christ. Ruth 2 is, um, for all intents and purposes, is the, is the, is the season in which the, the groom um, woos the bride. Um, the groom convinces the bride that he is safe. The, bro- the groom con- convinces the bride that he is worthy of her commitment to him. Remember this, the the modern view of marriage is somewhat different from the biblical view of marriage. In the biblical view of marriage, the wife was strongly connected to the husband. She was, the word commitment means, the word not commitment, the word um, submission means to get lost in somebody else. It means to be lost in them. It means that they are so fulfilling and so satisfying that, that you get lost in them. In Ephesians 5, when the scripture says that wives are to submit to their husbands, that's what it means. So here's what happens. In, in Ruth 2, Boaz starts out on this journey to convince Ruth that it's safe for her to get lost in him. It's safe for her to, to give her life, everything, uh, lock, stock, and barrel into, into, into Boaz's life. This is not, biblical view of marriage was not individuality. It was two people becoming one person. It, it was real commitment. It was real belonging. So, so it's important in this context that, that Boaz is going to present to Ruth all of these benefits. It's like, this is, this is what you're getting. When you commit your life to me, this is what you're going to get. So we read, I want to read some scripture throughout the, book, the chapter. If you just want to follow along or if you just want to listen, I've, I've pretty much typed it all out. When you go last week without any notes, this week you go with extraordinarily large amount of notes. So I have everything typed out this morning. Ruth 2 and verse 2, the Bible says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears after him in whose sight I shall find favor. So what Ruth is asking Naomi is for her to give her her blessing. Back in these days, the relationship of a mother-in-law and a daughter, this was, again, that same commitment, that same belonging. She belonged to, to Naomi. She belonged to her. That's why you see in chapter number one when she says, where you go, I'll go. Where you live, I'll live. Where you die, I'll die. Where you're buried, I'll, I'm buried. That's it. If you want to talk about the belonging relationship that is found in the, uh, in the Old Testament, that's it right there. It's like two people becoming one person. Everything about Naomi, Ruth says, that's me. So she asked Naomi out of respect, out of honoring that relationship, can I go and glean in a field? But she doesn't just ask that. Naomi or, or Ruth is pursuing a specific type of field to glean. There's something about that field that she's looking for. The reason for that is 
as she looks for this field, it's more than just a field. It's more than just a job. In the Bible times, a field was a representation of someone's life. In other words, when she said that I want to go and glean in the field of someone to whom I would find favor, what she is saying is, is I want to become a part of, I want to become, uh, uh, I want to belong to, I want to be a part of a, a landowner, a field, if you will, a, a life, if you will, of somebody who is going to show me favor. And the word favor here is an important word because it is the word that we get grace from. Ruth says this, she says, I want to go out and glean in the field and find somebody to whom they will, or, or, or of whom I will receive grace, of whom I will receive unmerited favor, of whom I will receive undeserved favor. The reason for this is, as a Moabite, outside of grace, Ruth had no hope at all. She was in a place where she was she had no friends, she had no family, she had nothing, she had no job, she had nothing going for her at all other than she believed that there was somebody who would show her favor. It's such an interesting truth because that's exactly the condition of every individual that walks upon the face of this earth. When we recognize ourselves to be sinful, we recognize ourselves to be an opponent of God, we realize that the only hope that we have is that he shows us grace, that he shows us favor. So she's looking for a field. She's looking to belong, if you will. She's looking to be connected into a relationship or into a field where the owner, where her, where the one to whom she will belong is a gracious owner. I know this sounds odd to us because we, we, we disdain these types of conversations. We disdain this type of terminology. But listen, folks, this, God has established the things the way that they are so that we will understand what it looks like to have a relationship with him. Matter of fact, in, in those days, to become a part of, to belong to, to be a servant, as would be used in the Old Testament, to be a servant to somebody that was a gracious master was a very good thing. It was a very pleasant thing. It was a very enjoyable thing. But on the other hand, to become a servant or to become a possession or belong to somebody who was a legalistic or a mean master would be a very, very difficult thing. She was looking to belong, Ruth was looking to belong to somebody who would be gracious to her. She was looking to belong to somebody, to be a part of something that would be gracious in nature. Because outside of the grace of God and outside of the grace of Boaz, Ruth would be hopeless and helpless. It's interesting because we know at the end of the story, if we read the book of Ruth, this ends up being her husband. She's not only looking for a field in a sense, which, which again is connected to the life of somebody. Their field was their life. But she is ultimately going to find a husband, somebody to whom she will belong, not just from a, from a um, standpoint of his career or his field, but somebody that she will be in a relationship with. Like Ruth, each of us, must decide to whom we will belong and to what field we are going to glean. We decide, we make a decision in life 
whether or not we're going to belong to Christ or whether or not we're going to belong to something other than Christ. The Bible tells us in Romans 6 and verse 16, you either belong to sin, which leads to death, or you belong to self, which leads to death, or you belong to obedience or Jesus Christ, which leads to righteousness, ultimately ending in eternal life. The scriptures are very clear a few things. Number one, we all belong to somebody. Now, again, we live in an individualistic society where we all think, well, I'm, I'm free of belonging to anybody, right? No, you're not. You're not free from belonging to anybody. You belong to somebody. And in a spiritual sense, you either belong to Christ, you belong to him, he is your Lord and Master, or you belong to sin and self, and they are your Lord and Master. And these two cannot connect, and there is no middle of the road. There is no, I belong to Christ and I belong to self. It is one or the other. You cannot belong, you cannot go into both fields. It's like, I'm going to work in this field now and work in this field later. Boaz makes it very clear to Ruth, don't go into any other field, right? This is a commitment to Christ at the expense of self and sin. This is a commitment to Christ that is a full commitment. It is a full belonging. I belong to Christ. He is my Lord and Master. There is no third category. There is no middle of the road. And there is no not belonging. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters, but everyone will serve one master. Joshua 24.15, Joshua says, Choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua made a commitment to serve the Lord in that moment. The second chapter of Ruth, what we're, what we're unfolding last week and this week, answers two questions. It answers a physical question. Why should Ruth consider belonging to Boaz? And it answers a spiritual question. Why should you, this morning, consider belonging to Jesus? Why should you consider a relationship with Jesus Christ to where he is your master, he is your Lord, and you belong to him? I will submit to you this morning that the devil has done an extraordinary job of pushing people away from the concept of belonging. And he, he is so innocent, right? He's so innocent in doing it. We all think it's the way that God would want things to be. We, don't, we, we need to be individuals. We don't need to belong, right? And the devil has been so um, creative, manipulative, deceptive into creating a world where everybody thinks they need to be an individual and to belong to something or to belong to someone is a, is a heinous crime. And he presents it in the form of religion. He presents it in the form of truth that just has a few little flaws in it. I'm here to submit to you this morning that Jesus Christ wants full commitment from you. He wants you to belong to him. He doesn't want you to belong to him for selfish reasons. He wants you to belong to him because he is the greatest one that you can belong to. There's no one better than Jesus to belong to. And you will belong to somebody. Don't let the devil convince you that you can be independent of belonging, 
A preacher once said this, the greatest deception the, ev- the devil ever accomplished was to convince mankind that he didn't exist. To convince mankind that he doesn't have any say in their life or in their world. This is a deception and a lie. And Jesus Christ is the solution. So why? Here, here's the... Here is the question that we're going to try to answer this morning in, in, in a few of these passages. Why, this morning, should Ruth commit herself to Boaz? And why, this morning, should you commit yourself to Christ? Why should you give your life to Christ? And stop playing games with Christ. Stop trying Christ out. Stop, you know, giving him this area of your life and not this area. Why should you give your life to him fully? Here's a few things to consider. First of all, in verse number 1, the Bible says in chapter 2 and verse number 1, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. The first reason why, the first reason, the first answer to this question is, is that they are worthy. Both Boaz and Jesus Christ are worthy of us giving them our lives. The Bible tells us about Boaz. This was what it meant for Boaz. Boaz, first of all, was of the right family. He was of a worthy family, a significant family. He had the connections to Ruth's family through Elimelech, which made him capable of bringing redemption to um, Ruth and Naomi. Not just anybody could redeem Ruth, only one who was connected to her family according to the law. So Boaz had to be worthy in regards to his, his heritage to redeem Ruth from her situation and to bring her into her family. She was, he was in the right family. He was physically and financially capable of redeeming her. Boaz was a man. He wasn't just a man. He was a man's man. He was a, a real man. The word that was used for worthy here means a, a warrior, a, a strong man, a, a mighty man, something that you might see in the book of, of Joshua where the Lord says, be strong and very courageous. This was a, a worthy, a, a mighty man, a, a significant man, a, a powerful man. He was a man of character. We see that as we read throughout this passage. He was, he was, he was everything that a man ought to be. Everything that a man ought to be. Matter of fact, you can go through this book and you can, girls, you can go through this book and say, that's the type of man I want to marry. And this is not the reason for, the re- for this book, but that's, that's a good example of what type of man to marry. And guys, if you're not married, it's a good example of what type of man to be when you get ready to be married. He was physically and financially capable of redeeming. He was spiritually and also spiritually and emotionally able to redeem. Redeeming wasn't only a financial thing. It was a matter of the heart. It was a matter of, her, of his spiritual condition. Chapter number 4 tells us that there was another redeemer who was not able to redeem primarily because of his um, connection to other, his, his inheritance. It would mess up his inheritance. So he wasn't ready to redeem. Redemption is about character and leadership. 
And, and Boaz was a man worthy to lead his family and worthy to lead Ruth because of his character, because of his family, because of his financial situation and his physical situation. He was a man of God. For Jesus Christ, it means, it meant, it means this. He has the authority to redeem. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The Bible says that God the Son came down from heaven that he took upon human form, he became a man, and he humbled himself, and in many ways he displayed how we ought to live. But Jesus Christ has the ultimate authority to redeem us because he is the Son of God. He is God the Son. He is equal with God in every way. He has authority with God in every way. He is not only family, but he is God himself. Jesus Christ has the authority to redeem as being God the Son, The Bible tells us in John 1 and verse number 1, in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He has the right to redeem. Jesus Christ has the right to redeem. He has the authority to redeem, not just redeem you from your sins, but He has the right and the authority to redeem you from whatever He chooses to redeem you from. Jesus Christ is God the Son. He is most authoritative and most powerful. We see in the book of Revelation as he is lifted up and he displays this authority in in real time. Jesus Christ has authority to redeem. Not only does he have authority to redeem as the Son of God, but he has authority to redeem as the creator of mankind. To redeem something, you must first own it. The word redeem literally means to take something back that was already yours. Jesus Christ has the right to redeem us because he is the one who created us. Colossians 1:15 through 17 says, "He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him, and all things were created for him." Jesus Christ has the right to redeem as the son of God. He has the right to redeem As our creator, we were his and we went astray. All we like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah says. We have turned from our Lord and we have turned to wickedness and evil. But Jesus Christ has the right or the authority to redeem. Not only does he have the authority to redeem, but he has the ability to redeem. There was a financial transaction that took place in redemption. Jesus Christ was able to pay the full price for that transaction. The price demanded for your redemption is blood. What you did was you gave your life to what we did, what mankind did is give our lives to the devil and to evil and to the world and the condemnation, the punishment, the, 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 our master became condemnation and destruction. So Jesus Christ came into this world and he laid down his life. He he allowed himself to be condemned on our behalf. He gave himself up, his own blood, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we might experience the redemption that is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ has the ability to redeem because he lived a perfect life. He never sinned. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4 that he came to this earth, he walked amongst us, and he was tempted in all ways as we are tempted, yet he never sinned once. His character was worthy to redeem us. His payment was full to redeem us. 
Ephesians 1 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood. Amen. In Christ we have redemption. We have been bought back. We have been purchased from the slave market of sin. We have been purchased from condemnation and destruction. We have been purchased back by the blood of Christ through His condemnation, through His destruction, and through His death. We have been purchased back. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of His grace. His ability to redeem, His perfect character in life, His substitutionary atonement, and His perpetual intercession. The Bible says that daily Christ intercedes on our behalf. He speaks for us. Satan is up in heaven and he is, he is communicating to God the Father all of our failures, all of our weaknesses, all of our mistakes, all of our sins. Satan is constantly bringing accusations against, God, against God's people. And he's telling God, just destroy them. Look at how evil and fallen they are. Look at how frail and weak they are. He's always bringing accusations against us. Revelation says that daily he brings accusations against God's people. But then there's Christ. And Jesus Christ stands there on our behalf like an attorney would and says, no, they are innocent. They are righteous. They are perfect. Not because they have done nothing wrong, but because of my blood and my gift of righteousness to them. Christ Jesus has come to live in the hearts of all those who believe. His righteousness has been gifted to them by His grace. And when God the Father looks upon them with the mediator of Christ, He sees perfect righteousness. So while Satan seeks our destruction daily, listen, Satan seeks our destruction daily. He pleads before God, kill and destroy this wicked people. Christ pleads on our behalf. They are innocent because of my blood. Jesus Christ is worthy. He is capable of delivering us, of redeeming us from our sins. He is a worthy redeemer. Last week we read in Revelation 4 and 5, and I would encourage you to read that in your own, in your own time, but the Bible asked the question, who is worthy? And the answer is, is there is none who is worthy. They, they search throughout all of heaven and earth and in the oceans and under the oceans. They search all of the world to find somebody who is worthy, and there is no one who is worthy. But then breaks forth the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And my friend, Jesus Christ is worthy of our worship. Jesus Christ is worthy of our belonging to him. We see that they are worthy. Number two, in verse 8 and 9 of Ruth, he says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping. This phrase simply means let your focus, let your attention be on this field and this field alone, no other field. In other words, don't be splitting your attention on the field that's over there. Focus on this field. And again, it's not a selfish thing. It would be like somebody telling you having two apple trees in front of you. One has a thousand apples on it and one has no apples on it. And the owner says, please focus on the one with a thousand apples. That's not selfish, is it? That's simple logic. That's what the Lord is saying. Don't focus on other fields because there's nothing in them for you. There is value in the field of the Lord. There's value in Boaz's field. 
Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when they are thirsty, go to the vessel and drink what the young men have drawn. The second reason is, is that they are responsible. Boaz takes responsibility for Ruth. He takes full and complete responsibility for Ruth. He takes responsibility for her needs. He tells her, I don't want you depending on another field for anything. I don't want you to look at that other field. I don't want you to depend upon anybody else for food, for water, for for protection, for provision, for satisfaction. Ruth, I want you to find everything in me. That's what Boaz says to her, Ruth, I want you to find everything in me. Not because there was a better man over there for Ruth that that he was trying to keep her from, but because Boaz knew that he was the right man and he was the righteous man. Jesus Christ is the same way. Jesus Christ takes full responsibility for all those who will believe in him and belong to him. He takes full responsibility for us, for every single one of our sins. He takes responsibility. Think about that for a moment. Jesus takes responsibility for every one of your failures, past, present, and future. And he hung on a tree to satisfy that responsibility that you bore, that he bore on your behalf. Not only does Jesus Christ take responsibility for your sins, he takes responsibility for your care, for your daily care. He takes responsibility for your physical and your spiritual needs. Jesus Christ does not want you to need, listen to me, Jesus Christ does not want you to need to glean in other fields. Jesus Christ does not want you to look for spiritual food somewhere else. Spiritual drink somewhere else, protection, provision, satisfaction. Jesus Christ wants to be all things to you. Listen to me, it's exactly what a husband should be to a wife. A wife shouldn't have to look anywhere else to find full satisfaction, protection, provision, food, water. Should be able to look to her husband for those things, amen? I get an amen from some of you wives out there? Thank you. Jesus Christ wants the same thing from us. Jesus Christ is fully responsible for every single one of his children. We are told in John 6 and and Psalm 23 that those who belong to Christ will never hunger and will never thirst. And those who belong to Christ will be completely satisfied and they will never lack. In other words, if you have Christ, you have everything that you need. He is everything that you need. You say, Pastor John, it doesn't make sense because I have hungered and I have thirsted and I'm not satisfied. Listen, some of these things are temporary things. Some of these things that we face in this life are are meant to, to train us and to mature us and to prepare us. But we can know this, that in Christ we have everything that we need and in eternity it will all come to fruition. The Lord says in Psalm 23, one of the most familiar psalms says, The Lord is my shepherd. I like to say it this way. If the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. I shall not want. Everything is in Christ. 1 John 5 and verse 12 says this. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever has the Son has everything. If you have Christ, there's nothing more that you need. 
Jesus Christ will not forsake his people in their sins. Jesus Christ will not forsake his people in their struggles. Jesus Christ will not forsake his people in their needs. Jesus Christ will never forsake his people. He promises us that in Hebrews 13, verse 5. Number three, they are gracious. Gracious is unmerited, undeserved favor. Watch what he says in Ruth 2. The Bible says, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and she passed, as he passed to her roasted grain, And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she arose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. For Boaz, this grace looked like reaching out to an outcast, lonely, and hurting individual. It means blessing her the one who could not return the favor. This is the idea in the New Testament, in the Gospels, of inviting people to the feast that cannot pay you back. Inviting somebody because your reward is in heaven. This included Boaz referring to her as his daughter, which is to invite her into the family. When Boaz refers to her as his daughter, he's saying you are a part of the family. What a wonderful grace, right? Here is a sinner, a Moabite, and Boaz, the the righteous one, says you are a part of our family. It's great to hear that from the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? He acknowledges her success and not her failures. In all of his speaking in this passage of Scripture, he speaks of her in a positive light. We know this about grace. Grace never holds us accountable. Grace always shows us favor and kindness. Christ was held accountable because we could not be. And now we receive the grace that he gives He abundantly blesses Ruth with more than she deserves and more than she has and more than she needs. She has abundance left over. He invites her to sit at his own table. He invites her to drink the, 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 uh, the water that's been drawn for the men. He tells them to leave extra behind. In in every way, Boaz is doing for Ruth what she doesn't deserve and seeing Ruth in a way that she hasn't earned. For Jesus, it means this, leaving the wealth and the royalty of leaving the wealth, royalties, and glories of heaven to come to earth and abide amongst fallen, sinful mankind. We can't even fathom what that looks like. We can't even, we can't even begin to picture it. A, a preacher once said it would be like a, a human being choosing to become the most disgusting and horrible of animals for a season to, to live amongst them so that they could understand them and be a, a part of their world. He said, even that would not even begin to encompass the, the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made when he left heaven's glories to come to earth and dwell amongst fallen, forsaken humanity. We can't even imagine what it would be like. 
And we could picture it, but we can't fathom the extent of his sacrifice to come and to be amongst us. He reaches out to the outcast, to the lonely, to the hurting, to those who are weary and tired and broken and and desperate. He reaches out to those people. It's all throughout the Scripture. It's all replete throughout the Scripture. The poor, the needy, those were God's people. He redeems people for his family. He forgives and erases mankind's sin. Remember that. He forgives and erases our sins. The Bible says that he will remember our sins no more. In other words, he never holds our sins against us. Jesus Christ provides abundance of spiritual blessing and physical blessing. He invites us to sit at his table to enjoy his provision, to find rest in his protection, and be satisfied in his life. This is what we're being invited. Listen, this is what you're being invited to this morning in Christ. This is what you're being welcomed into. If you would just repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ, you're being brought into this extraordinary relationship, this intimacy, this belonging to this glorious Lord. You will belong to somebody. Who will it be? 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the Bible says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For your sake he was made, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He is responsible. Let's go on. He is gentle, or they are both gentle and compassionate. Ruth 2.13, Then he said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Two things that are meant by this phrase, simply this, that Boaz, Boaz felt Ruth's struggle. The word in the Hebrew here for Uh, comforting her is the word for sighing it's almost as if boaz has seen ruth's life he's he's heard her story he's he's heard her difficulty he's heard her challenge and instead of judging her he sighs with her he connects with her boaz is the type of man that makes somebody who is weak and frail and empty and broken feel really really comfortable He makes them feel like he understands me. He connects with me. Even though Boaz had not felt those things, he connected in a merciful type of way, in a compassionate type of way. He connected with with Ruth. And then he speaks to her. He says that he spoke to her kindly. This simply means that he spoke to her heart. Boaz didn't just speak to her problem. Boaz didn't just speak to her actions or her circumstances. Boaz spoke to her heart. You can't speak to somebody's heart till you understand them. Jesus Christ is the same way. Jesus makes his people feel comfortable. Even though we're standing in the presence of perfect holiness and we are fallen and frail and empty and broken, Jesus Christ makes us feel comfortable. He listens to us. You ever feel like the Lord doesn't listen to you? You ever pray and 
So it's like he just doesn't hear me. Listen, the scriptures tell us that when you become connected to Christ, he listens to you. He understands you. He feels what you feel and he shows compassion to you. That's what you want, ladies, right? Those things would describe a pretty good man, right? Understanding, compassion, listening, feeling what we feel. That's what Jesus Christ is to us. He's not there to condemn us. Do you know that a lot of the people present Christ as somebody who wants to condemn us? Christ didn't come to condemn us. Christ came to redeem us. He came to set us free. The Bible says in Romans 8 and verse 1, He came to set us free from condemnation, didn't He? He came to redeem us from that, from that condemnation that the devil wants to place on us. He listens to us. He understands us. He feels what we feel. He shows compassion to us. And then He speaks to our hearts. He speaks to our feelings. He speaks to our cares and concerns. He speaks to us in in such a way that he speaks to us to where we feel comfortable hearing him. Jesus Christ is gentle and compassionate. Hebrews 2.18 says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted And then he says this in Matthew 11, and I'm going to close with this this morning, give you a few final thoughts, and we'll we'll wrap this up next week. In Matthew 11, he says, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, he says, yoke yourself with me. Belong to me. Put a yoke has, uh, is putting two oxen together, right? One side was to yoke one oxen, and the other side to yoke the other oxen, and they were together. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you. And learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Sometimes we need a gentle Savior, don't we? Sometimes we need a patient Savior. Sometimes we need a compassionate Savior. Listen to me this morning. Jesus Christ is that one. Jesus Christ is the one who can bring that satisfaction and that gratification in your life. I ask you this morning, is he drawing you to himself? Is he wooing you this morning? Is he convincing you of his goodness, of his kindness, of his graciousness, of his forgiveness, of his ability to accept those who are unacceptable, his ability to to forgive those who are guilty, his ability to fellowship with those who have no right to be fellowshipping with him? Do you not see that that's exactly what he's presenting to us in Ruth? Ruth had no right to be connecting with Boaz, but yet she's sitting at his table. The Bible says in Revelation 2, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will commune with him, will sup with him, will eat with him. Is the Lord wooing you this morning? Is he calling you to himself? Is he worthy? Is he someone that you'd want to be married to? Is he someone that you'd want to belong to? Is he someone that you'd want to say, that's my Lord and Master? I'm convinced that he is. And my prayer is is that you're convinced that he is as well. Are you convinced of his worthiness and goodness? Are you trusting and do you belong to him by faith? Jesus Christ promises earthly struggles 
but he provides spiritual gratification, forgiveness, spiritual bread and water that always and fully satisfies, peace with God, hope for today and eternity, purpose, security, and rest. The alternative is to belong to your flesh and to sin, which promises you earthly gratification and provides for you spiritual and eternal death. To whom will you choose to belong? John 10 and verse number 10. The thief cometh not but forth to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, just thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth that we can glean from it as Ruth gleaned, that we glean from your word. And I pray, Lord God, that you would take the truths of your word and you would penetrate our hearts with them, not just our minds, but our hearts, that we would see Jesus Christ as being worthy. We would see him as being gracious. We would see him as being gentle and kind. We would see him as being everything that we could imagine belonging to and connecting with. And then I pray that you would give us a heart that submits and surrenders to that. The greatest of Boaz's and Jesus's is nothing unless we submit to it. We give our hearts to it. We belong to it. And I just pray that you would make that happen this morning. If somebody is not saved, I pray that you would bring them to the realization of Christ Jesus's significance and value and they would surrender to him lord for those of us who are here this morning who do know you as our savior and our lord and our master lord help us to find fullness completeness help us to find gratification and satisfaction and purpose and rest in jesus christ and jesus christ alone not our circumstances not the situations that are going on around us not um, when things are going well or not well but lord help us to find who we are in christ help us to be willing to be belong to you lord jesus and to be identified by you please bless our day and our week may it bring glory to you in christ's name amen before you go, I just want to thank you for being here this morning. I pray that the Lord has used this in some way in your heart and in your life. Um, I hope you all had a Merry Christmas, and we have five more days left, I think, of or four or five more days left of this year. Um, don't go out. Don't go out purposelessly. There's still something to be done in 2020. Four days, five days. Don't look at it as let's get through it. Look at it as let's maximize 2020 in these last five days for whatever way for the glory of our God. God bless you.